Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ben. I have a question for you as well as my compatriots. Lay it on us, brother. All right. Noel, super producer Casey Pegram. Here's the question. I noticed recently that we have been doing a, a, a lot of cool stuff with U.S. states. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to look at another U.S. state. A large one. Mm -hmm, a big one. And it inspired me to pitch the following idea. I propose that we, Ridiculous History, endeavor to do an episode, at least one, about every U.S. state. Like Sufjan Stevens style? Yeah, but we'll actually do it. You think we will, though? Yeah, because we're not making a whole album. That's true, and we do kind of have to do the show until we keel over, so yep. it's in our contract. That's which, the language. Which we signed in blood. Yeah. I'm, I'm Okay, Ben. I'll raise you one. Let's mm. do one on every state and territory. Every state and territory? Yeah. Historical territories or current territories? Oh, God, you got me, Ben. I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> you know what? We'll be there. I, I bet you we'll, we'll wrap up our 50th state episode, and then we'll say we want to do more territories. It'll be a learning adventure. <laughs> it will be. And we're off to the races. Uh, we are traveling today uh, in spirit, in mind, to a place that uh, both of us love. The state of California. I'm a huge fan of California. Yeah. Man, I love it. Despite the traffic, am I right? No. Oh, God. It's, just, it's bumper to bumper. The, the, the one, the five. The 405. The 501. The, you know what? I'm, that's not real. <laughs> you know Yours what? was real. I got to tell you, though, uh, Los Angeles makes me tired. Well, it's such sprawl that mm. it's like it takes forever to get anywhere. I mean, not that we're not used to that here in Atlanta. The traffic's quite bad. Mm. But the, the geography of, of Los Angeles, right. very spread out. And, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a slog to get anywhere. But, boy, do I enjoy it when I find a cool area that I, that I dig. Like uh, I've got a friend who lives in Highland Park, mm -hmm. really like that whole area, and like Silver Lake and all that stuff. And uh, we actually have a studio there. 
um, with our comedy division that's right in the heart of, of Hollywood Boulevard. Yes, yes. Uh, it's headed by our pal Jack O'Brien, who was the founder of Cracked.com. I wonder if Jack O'Brien knows the mythical history of California, the name at least. He might. He's one smart uh, hostess cupcake, mm -hmm. but he, uh, if he knows this history, he is an exceptional person because this was new, I hazard, to both of us. Hazard away, because you're right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one, one thing that I think occurs to many school children here in the States uh, is, is this moment of epiphany where you're looking around at the name of the state in which you reside or the names of other states, and you go, hey, that's a weird word. You know, Oklahoma, for instance, that's a weird word. Yeah. Right? Uh, California, we just all accept as normal. Sure. But it's a strange word. It is. And I think um, there's this overarching notion that most of the weird word states come from Native American words. Right. But that's not entirely true. Especially not in uh, today's case. Yes. Today we are exploring the strange story of how California became, you know, California. 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 Yeah. I love that sketch. That's a good sketch. Uh, yes. Yeah, so right now it's uh, used by the, the term California is used by three different places. It's used here in the U.S., it's the name of the state of California. In Mexico, there are two states. One is called Baja California and then Baja California Sur. So like South Baja California. That's right. I think originally um, California was called Las Californias Province of the Vice Royalty of New Spain. Yeah. That's a mouthful. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. But where did all this California business come from, Ben? We we were startled to find uh, there were several explanations, but one of the strongest and the one we want to focus on today is the idea that the name California came from a work of fiction. That's right. A work of fiction by a gentleman by the name of Garcia Rodriguez de Montevallo. Um, I think that's okay. Casey's, yeah. Casey's not. We're not going to consult Casey on that. No, no, he's, he's, he's busy. A, he's, he's, busy. He's, he's a Francophone. Yeah. He's not a Span Spaniophone. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Montevallo. And he um, wrote a, a novel, a, ro a romantic, uh, swashbuckling kind of epic part of a series mm -hmm. called Las Sergas de Esplandion, which means the exploits or adventures of Esplandion. Yeah, this was around the turn of the 16th century and largely thought to be inspired by real-life stories of explorers traveling to what they called the New World in the 1400s. Noel, as you said, this is part of a five-part series. This was the final book, and it featured a specific land. We can go ahead and, uh, let's see, you want, you want to hear a quote? We got a little quote about this from the book. Quote away, my man. All right. Know that on the right hand from the Indies exists an island called California, very close to a side of the earthly paradise, and it was populated by black women without any man existing there because they lived in the way of the Amazons. They had beautiful and robust bodies and were brave and very strong. Their island was the strongest in the world with its steep cliffs and rocky shores. Their weapons were golden and so were the harnesses of the wild beast that they were accustomed to taming so that they could be because there was no other metal in the island 
than gold. That, my friend, was a summary of the recent DC Comics film, A Wonder Woman. <laughs> right. There are some uh, there are some clear parallels. Yeah, that is from the exploits of Esplandian, which, as we said, turn of the century, you published it in Sevilla in 1510. In fact, it's actually, it, it predates Don Quixote by Cervantes, uh, and it's, it's cited in that work mm-hmm. as a list of one of the books in Don Quixote's library. <laughs> so it was a very popular work, um, and folks like, uh, oh, I don't know, Hernan Cortez, mm-hmm. the famous conquistador, would have been intimately familiar with this story. Right. Hernán Cortés, who was a conquistador who led the expedition that brought about the fall of the Aztec Empire and brought lots of what is modern-day Mexico under the rule of Spain, he would have been aware of this book. And when the Spanish forces were exploring California, they originally thought that southern peninsula that they ran into. Baja, right? They thought it was an island. Exactly. I think it was uh, It was quite a long time before they realized there was more. Yeah, it was a long time. And you can, you can see maps from the mid-1600s and so that depict it as an island, a sort of um, – just imagine the peninsula as if the rest of the top of California doesn't exist. Exactly. And Cortez was, in fact, the governor of Mexico at the time, and he sent an expedition to the western coast of California. Um, Pilot Fortun Jimenez. Um, Actually, there was a mutiny, too, involving the murder of the expedition leader, Diego Becerra. Um, But this was the first European to sail near what you just described, Ben, Baja, California. This was in the year 1534, and as you said, mistook it for an island and decided to call it California. Why? Why, Ben? We talked about the story a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Did we did we name the character, the queen? Ah, yes, the queen. Uh, we mentioned her in the quotation, Khalifa. Khalifa. And the island is called California, and it is ruled by this badass Amazonian-type woman, Um, with weaponized griffins and all kinds of crazy golden armor and spears. And I think there was a there was a a note about they only allowed men to come to the island one day a year so they could procreate. And if ever an offspring was a male, they would uh, they would give it the axe or the spear. Right. Or drown it in the sea. I don't know. They would cut the kid's life off very early. Big time. And here's one of the fascinating things. This was a work of fiction, right? That's, we know clearly it was a work of fiction, but it still inspired Cortez enough to to think of this later as California. Now, it's not clear if California had already been named at the time when Cortez led that expedition, but we do know that he had originally he had also thought it was an island. He named it Santa Cruz, but the historical records pretty soon after that refer to it as California, named after the fictional land in Rodriguez's book. And there's there's another weird part here. For a long time afterward, it would appear that the connection between this fictional novel and the state, what would become the state of California, was lost to history. The novel languished, it was obscure, nobody connected it with the name of California until 
uh, around 1864. That's what I read as well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, a guy named Edward Everett Hale uh, was translating this novel for the Antiquarian Society, and this translation he did was printed in the Atlantic. Uh, And so Hale was trying to figure out how this caliph entered uh, the author's mind at all, and he was thinking, well, maybe it was he was taking a, a term for a leader of an Islamic community. Oh, you mean like a caliph? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. There's actually two different ways you'll see it spelled. Um, one is Khalafia, C-A-L-A-F-I-A. Sometimes you'll see it Khalifia, um, but it does date back to that term caliph, which the Arabic is spelled K-H-A-L-I-F-A-H, and then we um, mangle it up to be C-A-L-I-P-H here in English. Um, but that would be the leader of an Islamic religion or a group or a state, which is interesting. A lot of times religious leaders end up being political leaders as well in that culture. Yeah, and you can read in depth about uh, the conquistador in California in a book by W. Michael Mathes called The Conquistador in California. This strange relationship between fiction and fact reminds me a little bit of the inspirations we've seen in earlier episodes. But let's stick with Cortez for a second, because he did not have the happiest of lives. Not at all. And just a quick aside, um, Spain does have a big relationship with the Islamic culture. The Iberian Peninsula was actually invaded by Muslim forces um, in the year 711 um, and eventually conquered the peninsula. So it would make sense that that language would be floating around in the uh, the ether there. And there would be what are called loan words, right, that came from Arabic – and were incorporated into Spanish. Absolutely. And, you know, I really appreciate you bringing up that point because uh, for a long time, from what, 711, well, at various times between 711 and 1492, there was a caliphate of uh, Cordoba, right? And uh, Islamic Iberia is another name you'll hear thrown around. Uh, this was not a solidly Spanish place. No, and 1492, as it turns out, was when Amontevallo wrote the book in question. Mm-hmm. So give us Cortez, my friend. Ah, Cortez, his unhappy life, yeah. So this expedition to California is one of his last big plays. This in the 1530s, you'll hear anywhere between 1534 to 1536. He was not super popular in Spain. He returned a few years later. This is just an aside because I just want to show that it wasn't all uh, trumpets and angel farts for this guy. When he returned to Spain in 1541, he kept trying to get the emperor to meet with him. He's like, I've won so much land for Spain. I've conquered so much territory for you. And no one would talk to him. It got so bad that he had to follow the emperor's carriage through town one day. And there was a crowd surrounding him. He forced himself through the crowd. He jumped up on the carriage, uh, which, you know, imagine a presidential motorcade and having and seeing someone run up and try to jump in the car. It's essentially what he did. And the emperor said, who is this man? Who is this incredibly, uh, I guess, uh, uh, rude, audacious fellow? And Cortez, according to the record, said, I am a man who has given you more provinces than your ancestors left you cities. He spent a lot of his own money to finance his expeditions. He was 
heavily, heavily, heavily in debt. And when he died uh, in 1547, his body would later be moved multiple times after his burial, around eight times. Ugh, insult to injury. Mm -hmm. And when Mexico became independent, it was thought that his body might be desecrated. Just, uh, Just a couple of Cortez facts here. The strangest thing, though, is that when we think of this idea of an island that's so close to the Garden of Eden, right? And it's full of gold. We know uh, the Spanish expeditions were were very, very focused on finding those material riches, right? Oh, for sure. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. It seems strange, though, that 
they would name this uh, island after something that they they had to know to be fictional, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of the way. Like, I recently went to a, a wrestling match mm-hmm. out in kind of a rural part of of Georgia, um, and I really got the sense that some of the folks there did not know that it wasn't real. And and they were acting accordingly. So you got to wonder, back in these days, even if something was a quote-unquote work of fiction, was there maybe a sense that it was written from a place of of real discovery and this was like a mythical land they could find? Because that's certainly what I'm seeing, um, mm-hmm. that they saw this island and they were like, surely this is the place of note from this uh, this story. Right, yeah, because it's not as if they could hop on Snopes.com or something and check whether this was real. Uh, And we know that the idea of an Amazonian legend would have been very familiar to people. We also have to remember that at this time, it was much, much more difficult to differentiate fiction from fact. And there were a lot of allegorical works of antiquity that were taken to be literal truths. Tell you what else is interesting about the book. It's actually pretty radical. Mm-hmm. Montevallo really injected this story with a lot of characteristics that kind of mirrored the experience of conquered indigenous people and colonized indigenous people um, throughout the Americas. Um, later in the novel, Calafia uh, actually converts to Christianity, coming from much more of a pagan tradition. It's hard to say if he was doing this, the writer, in in protest or as like satire in some way, mm-hmm. or if it was sort of meant to be almost, um, what's the word, uh, propaganda. Right. Because that was certainly what the Spanish conquistadors were all about when they found these indigenous people was setting up all these missions, you know, all the missions that are in California mm-hmm. and the presidios and the like, all about converting the native people to Catholicism. So pretty interesting trajectory the story has. Yeah, and we also can see how this would have been seen as inspirational to Spanish explorers because they had expelled at the time the the dominant Muslim forces that were ruling Spain, and there was nothing left to conquer unless they set out to find a Western route to India. But no, uh, why don't we learn a little bit more about Montalvo's book? Because he's a relatively obscure author himself in real life, but we know a little bit about his character, right? We do, and I have not read it myself, but I, I learned a lot of really cool stuff from an article on Ms. Magazine's blog uh, from Abini Moreno um, entitled Calafia Reappropriating the Amazon Queen, and um, there's a pretty incredible quote here. Um, so apparently later in the story, Calafia gets married, and um, she gives her title of queen to one of her bodyguards. And then this is what she says to her. Uh, She says, you shall be my senor and you shall rule over my state. On account of you, the island will change the style of living. Whereas the island has been isolated from men for many ages, henceforth it will adopt the practice of natural generation of men and women. So this idea of... uh, being outside of the patriarchy and kind of there was even like when they're in battle, they would take men as their prisoners and execute them um, or keep them around for procreation purposes. Now they're kind of opening up their borders um, to allow men to live amongst them. And there's this sense that a lot of this had to do with Montevallo's 
need to kind of tame the character. So Ooh. it is, I think, less, I think, unfortunately, it is less of a uh, a satire and a little more of the propaganda vibe that I was talking about earlier, where he kind of has this strong female character, don't need men, and turns it to the point where they kind of become more beholden to men and also um, more Christian ideology. Oh, and speaking of appropriation, very important point here. Montalvo did not write all of the books in that series. The first three books were written by an unknown author. He picked it up, wrote the fourth book and the fifth book, which would be the exploits or the adventures. And then after him, the saga continued. There was a sixth novel, a seventh novel, an eighth and a ninth novel that we know of. Jeez. And it's strange when we think of it alternating between different authors, you know, especially when those first three books are unknown today. Could you even get away with that? All right. My, my dyslexia is showing. I don't really have dyslexia, but um, I've been mispronouncing this man's last name entirely incorrectly for the entire episode, which is fine. We don't need to correct it. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. I said Amontavallo, uh, and it's Montalvo. But I just, I, I, I uh, switched up the, uh, the V and the, and the A. It's fine. It's fine. I just wanted to put it out there now. I'm going <laughs> to fix it from here on out. But um, just don't email us about it. <laughs> well, I didn't. You know, I think you're beating yourself up. I, I did not, uh, for my part, notice. But what I did notice, Noel, is that there were a couple of other competing theories about the etymology of California's name. Yeah, there's one of like a, po- there's a poem, I think. As yes, well. the Song yeah. of Roland. Uh-huh. Yeah, give it to us. Also the inspiration in part for Stephen King's The Dark Tower series, or ah. a thing based on that, Child Roland, Roland to the Dark the Tower. The Gunslinger, yeah. 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 Um, so The Song of Roland is an 11th century old French epic poem and people who believe that it inspired the name California, uh, I can't not say it. California? Like yeah, like I'm in the such. Stuart. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, please do check out The Californians on Saturday Night Live. You, you heard of it? This. Great show. Yeah, right? You should, you should really check it out. It's a, uh, it's a weekly sketch show uh-huh. in case anybody somehow it's doesn't know. It's been running since like the, the 70s, I think. At the yeah. least, right? Uh, so this poem, The Song of Roland, is about the defeat of Charlemagne's army uh, by the Muslim army in a battle in the Pyrenees in 778. And in, if, let's get specific. In line 2,924 of the poem, again, it's an epic poem, uh, in verse 209, the word califerne, C-A-L-I-F-E-R-N-E, is one of the lands that's mentioned, but they don't say in the poem where it is. They don't tell you what it's next to, or, or you know, it's named after a reference to what people believe is Africa. Cool. So people are saying maybe Montalvo found that somewhere, and maybe that's where he found the name California. And then uh, there's the other idea that the term could derive from a, a Spanish phrase, an old Spanish phrase, calit forne, an alteration of the old Latin term calida fornax, which means hot furnace. I don't, you know what? I, I think we stick with the novel. I think that's the most interesting answer. Yeah, I think the thing too is um, it, it, it really is kind of up in the air. 
it's not clear when California was named and there was no like documentation of I hereby name this land California. Right. You know, like 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 the way you get in other um, foundings, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's much more of a thing like that uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch that we keep referencing ad nauseum. <laughs> Go to Ridiculous Historians and join our Facebook group and you can see it for yourself or, you know, just. Google it. It's um, not. It's not ad nauseum yet. No, it's, it's ad nauseum. If I think if we do it four times. Oh no, I think it's. I, I think it's. It, it, it applies because it really is. It it's very much like I will call this the West Indies. <laughs> like what? Why? That right. doesn't make sense. Or this shall be named henceforth New Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> of no, not North Wales. No, South Wales. But yeah, uh, this. What's interesting here is that it's also a story of cartography because maps were Bibles of geography, right, Mm -hmm. at this time. And they didn't agree nearly as often as maps do nowadays. And maps don't agree near as often as you might think even in the modern day. For sure. I want to backtrack just a little bit to, to Montalvo. Huh? Huh? Got it right that time. There you go. I'm on the right track. Um, He absolutely eroticized and um, exoticized this woman and oh, her yeah. people and her her body and her strength and, and, and the like in almost a fetishistic kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote in this fabulous article um, from a blog called afro.com mm-hmm. um, that, that reads as such. And this is a little rough uh, language, but I, I just want to – it also is it's, – it's quite racist. He was quite racist. Yes. Um, so here here it goes. He describes Queen Caliphia uh, as such, as a queen, quote, queen of majestic proportions, more beautiful than all others, and in the very vigor of her womanhood. She was not petite, nor blonde, nor golden-haired. She was large and black as the ace of clubs. Oof. That's rough. That's a hard oof. That's a big oof. And, uh, just, yeah. I'm just saying, I think it, it it really, it makes sense that this would have been written in such a way as to take these characters and twist them to this particular kind of worldview of, of, uh, of the Spanish at the time. He would have been around during like the Spanish Inquisition and a lot of the kind of medieval thinking around Ooh. some of this stuff and uh, it, it shows. Yeah, it calls to mind the person for whom uh, both New World continents are named after America is named after Amerigo Vespucci. Not a good guy. Not the best. Not the best one. (laughs) But uh, luckily, California as a modern state has moved well beyond the uh, othering racist descriptions found in Montalvo's novel. It's true. And become uh, not only one of the most uh, progressive states in the United States, right. but also the largest economy, I believe. Oh, my God, for sure. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And here's a one more thing from this Afro.com piece. Um, it talks about uh, there's a woman that's interviewed for this piece um, whose name is Tamara L. Dickus, and she is actually mounting, or at least at the time of this article, was mounting a campaign to um, change the seal of California to include an image of Califia um, as opposed to Minerva, who was the Roman goddess of wisdom um, and also like in, in the Greek tradition, she would have been Athena. Right. Right. Etruscan counterpart. Exactly. And um, so she is featured on the seal that was designed by a Confederate soldier who just kind of made the seal on his own. Um, and then he even used, uh, according to the article, a, a false name. And it just kind of stuck. And um, this woman, Tamara L. Dickus, is mounted a, a campaign called Callie Is Me to, quote, right the wrong and um, put Califia on the seal uh, to, you know, have this beautiful black woman featured um, and to show kind of the history of the naming. But again, all of the stuff that we've just discussed about that history, right. it's not exactly on, shall we say. Yeah. And speaking of the name, one quick uh, correction here. Uh, I believe it was me who said that once upon a time, Cortez tried to name the island, quote unquote island, uh, Santa Cruz. No, 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 no. He 
went back and tried to rename it Santa Cruz, mm. and everybody said, ah, 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 sorry, buddy, you took your shot, it's California. Gotcha. And that's how it's always been. So think about it. If things went a little bit differently in history, we would not have the fine state of California. We'd have the fine state of Santa Cruz. It's very true. And Califia is actually featured in a um, kind of a multimedia exhibition that ended uh, in 2008 at uh, Disney's California Adventure Park in Anaheim, where uh, Whoopi Goldberg actually plays her in sort of projection mapped form where there are these busts, these statues of, of the goddess. Um, well, she wasn't really a goddess, I guess. She was more of a warrior queen. Sure. Um, and she narrates kind of this history of California um, with all these, you know, Disney bells and whistles and stuff. But they retired that in 08. But um, th- it was kind of the centerpiece of the whole production. To, so they clearly felt pretty good about uh, having that heritage there. And we feel pretty good about the name California overall. Yeah. Despite its dodgy beginnings, we hope this has been as fascinating and strange for you all as it is for us. And this concludes our episode today, but we have a couple of questions for you. First, have you ever seen a griffin in real life? I thought they, they're not real. No. Right? no cool. Okay, just making sure. Just making <laughs> sure not, it's not like, not. So you know how I feel about birds. I don't really keep yeah. up with them. Yeah. So maybe I figured, maybe I missed. But you like, uh, you know what? Isn't a griffin like a com- like a bird mm-hmm. lion or something yep, like yep, that? Yep, That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, they're super cool, too. Uh, so, yeah, surprise us if you have actually seen a griffin. Let us know. We will be astounded. Uh, also, let us know what states you think we should cover next in an upcoming episode of Ridiculous History. Well, now we got to keep track. Well, we, uh, we're good so far. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't doubled up, have we? No, not yet. Are you certain? Yes. Okay. And we are going to, uh, we're going to have so much fun with this. It's going to be so strange. If you'd like to have fun with us, then check out our community page on Facebook, Ridiculous Historians, where you can hang out with your fellow listeners and learn some very strange facts. You can also give us topic suggestions, and who knows, they might appear on the air. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well. You can also write to us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com, um, and we might even uh, read one of your letters on the show. Oh, we have one last thing to do. We hope you will join us in doing this uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast say it out loud with us we are going to on the count of three bid our super producer Casey Pegram bon voyage all right one two three bon voyage Casey uh, he will return very soon. We have a cavalcade of super producers who will be sitting in. A cadre. A cadre. A stable of them. Yes, a roster, a battalion. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, twist in Casey's arm. Hopefully he's going to send us some cool audio postcards from uh, Paris. I'm going to make eye contact real quick with him. You already said yes. He's nodding. Okay. We'll see you next time. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. 
breathing. breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 